came out like that was based on Farmville. I was like, here we go. I know five languages, and I thought she was dead ass at the time until you asked her later. It's like, so where were you from? She was like, Missouri, where's she from? Arizona. Arizona. I was like, wait a minute, she wasn't a Navy brat? She's an army brat. Oh, she's an army brat. She can defend, she can fight you on the brat part, though. I like the monetization images. 10 out of 10 Photoshop skills. You're a monster! I'm not the monster here, you are! You and the rest of that fairy tale trash poisoning my perfect world. Now tell me, where are the others? Hello everyone, today we're going to learn how to do a little bit of soloing in a surf rock style. So, what's really important about this are the one, four, five patterns. Uh, as well as a kind of surf rock idiomatic uh, rhythmic pattern. Okay. Uh, so we're going to be starting off by using A minor scale. And we're going to learn how to borrow from the four, the D minor, use the D minor scale. And then we're also going to use A minor harmonic minor so that we can get this really cool kind of surfy Egyptian type of sound uh, when they play the five HBO has ordered a Spanish-language comedy from Fred Armisen and Saturday Night Live producer Lauren Michaels. The Hollywood Reporter confirms that the series is called Los Espookies and is set in a dreamy version of present-day Mexico City. The half-hour series is entirely in Spanish. Bernardo Valesco... Cassandra Chung Garoti, Ana Fabrega, and Julio Torres will star. Be silent in that solitude, which is not loneliness, for then, the spirits of the dead, who stood in life before thee, are again, in death around thee, and their will, shall overshadow thee, be still. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, you let's get fucking spooky in August Screedlers. This is Stefan Lee, the podcast studio manager. If you're a long-time listener, you'll recognize this week's guest as our first ever returning Screedler. She appeared way back over a year ago on episode number 3. Can you believe that we're already at episode 75? Holy fuck. A lot has happened in that year though, and she's got plenty to report in this short and sweet interview, recorded inside of a Richard Serra sculpture at Dia Beacon. Who is she? I'm talking, of course, about the one and only Anna Fabrega. Perhaps the funniest woman in Brooklyn. And since the interview is indeed short and sweet, we're pleased as punch to also be bringing back a segment that we know you've all been salivating for. That's right. The Savage Table with Alex Savage. It's the food review podcast within the podcast. Such a cute combo. What a life we live. Am I right? Anyways, let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney.
I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 75 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. And guess what? It sucks outside. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. This is the worst time of year, and anybody who likes summer is a cop. In the midst of all this oppressive heat, it stands to reason that we ought to have something cool. And what could be cooler than a conversation with comedian Anna Fabrega? Anna was my guest all the way back on episode three of the podcast more than a year ago. She's one of my favorite people, and I've had the distinct pleasure of publishing not one but two of her zines, The Truth About Pangea and The Truth About Pangea 2. If you're even remotely interested in comedy in Brooklyn, you've already seen Anna's borderline flawless stand-up, and if you watched the last season of The Chris Gethard Show, you saw some of Anna's writing chops come to life on television. I asked her back for a couple of reasons. One, I love her. Two, the new show that she's collaborating on with Julio Torres and Fred Armisen, Los Spookies, just got picked up for its first season on HBO. Did you hear that? HBO. Are you freaking out? Because I'm freaking out. In addition to those two very sound reasons for inviting her back, there's an even more endearing one. This past week, Anna came up to Dia Beacon for a day to meet the Hudson Valley teams that I teach up there. She knocked them out with a stand-up performance and then spent the afternoon workshopping one-act plays that they've been working on. Uh, It was an awesome session, and following it, we sat down to talk about this enormous last year that she's had. It was a closed day at the museum, and we recorded while sitting inside of one of Richard Serra's torqued ellipses sculptures in the empty museum. I thought that it was going to sound like insanely reverby, you know, uh, spooky, and it did to our ears sitting inside of it, but the recording sounds pretty normal. Um, But while you're listening, just imagine how echoey it really should be. And please excuse the end of the conversation when we're walking around in circles in the space talking about how crazy our voices sound because they sound completely normal in the recording. Uh, Anna had a train to catch, so it was a pretty short conversation by Human the Abject Standards. So to round out the hour, I'm pleased to be including the return of the food review podcast within the podcast, The Savage Table with Alex Savage, also known as at Fokra, that's F-O-C-R-A, on Twitter. On this episode, Alex reviews a ham sandwich he ate in Italy a year ago. Uh, and I think you'll find his insights nothing short of Gordon Ramsay-level culinary pure expertise uh so stick around after the chat with anna to expand your knowledge of worldly cuisine all right let's get to it here's my conversation with anna fabrega anna fabrega welcome back to humor and the abject thank you for joining me thank you for having me back uh a train just passed by i wonder if people can hear that I bet the people on the train can hear us. The people on the train can hear us. We are... There it is. Some beautiful (laughs) ambiance. We are recording uh, in the middle of one of Richard Serra's torqued ellipses at Dia Beacon, uh, upstate in New York. If you can't hear that echo, uh, turn your headphones up. There's some wonderful natural reverb going on in here. And if you don't believe us, check the photo on the post. Yes, uh, confirming that what Sean is saying is true. (laughs) We are sitting inside of a Richard Serra while recording this now. I've never gotten to say welcome back before because you're my first returning guest. Wow. Yeah. What an honor. Yeah. Were you going to say welcome back to me? No. (laughs) (laughs) I started, I I drew out the W a little bit. You were my guest on episode three and this is number 75. Wow. So a lot's happened in the last year Mm -hmm. since I last had you on here. And, uh, but more importantly than everything that's happened last year, how are you today? 
Today, I'm great. It's my first time at the museum in Dia Beacon. It's the first time I've ever been in an empty museum, which is really cool. Oh, yeah, it's worth noting. It's a closed day here at the museum, which is part of the reason why we are sitting inside of this Richard Serra and recording. And uh, for the listener, Anna came up today and was a guest with the teens that I teach and did some stand-up and talked to them about what she does. Was that the first time you've recorded for uh, primarily, not recorded, but performed for primarily a, a teen audience? Yeah, I've never performed exclusively for teens. And I thought when I was preparing my set, like, don't think about the fact that they're teens, just prepare your set. And then when they were saying how much they like Twitter and Instagram, I thought, man, I should have really catered a set for teens i think you did a you did a wonderful job i think they they liked a lot and you treated them like adults like they have interests outside of twitter and instagram Mm -hmm. which they do yeah um (laughs) so uh last june when i talked to you i think it was it was like june 26 or something was when the episode came out and you had just started a new job and you're writing on the chris gethard show Mm -hmm. um what was that experience like you're not you you were there for about a year or so it was like six, six months. Yeah. You're there for a season. Yeah. Which is a year in TV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was the experience like? It was great. It was my first full-time staff writing job at a show. And it was uh, not a scripted show. It was a variety comedy show. So the writing wasn't like making scripts. It was more just coming up with ideas and beats for episodes and things for Chris, the host, to do with a guest. Uh, a new guest each episode and then things for the recurring cast members to do um and everyone is really nice it was like the best i think first job i i could have had it does sound dreamy Mm -hmm. was it uh i mean obviously you're working with a it's a really different writing environment because you're in not only in a room with several other people but you're also like you said not writing scripts per se Mm -hmm. you're you're writing ideas and beats and things like that but how did you manage as uh as a writer and a comedian yourself that transition from I know you work with other people and you've done video pieces and things like that. So obviously you've done some collaborative writing and write a lot for your own performances. Um, but did you have to like, was there anything that, anything that you wish that you knew before you went in that for any, you know, buddy who's about to start in a, the one person listening who's about to start in a group writer's room, what, what should they know going into it? That you are writing for the show and it's the voice of the show. That's a good call. Yeah. Um, And especially that show since it had been on public access for so long and had such a well-defined, you know, format and style, even if it was like so crazy and different each episode, um, it was, it was like already, you know, well-established and I wasn't going in to like do the Anna show on that show. Sure, yeah. Um, Although there was a sketch that was kind of right, about they, you wanting <laughs> the, the time that they finally said, yeah, you can do your thing. Um, and they let me make that video, but, um, There's it was, train again. yeah, more trains. It's beautiful. I wonder if it's going north or south. I have terrible cardinal directional sense, so I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know which way that is. <laughs> north. North. Maybe. Uh, heading to Poughkeepsie. That's um, true. But yeah, the show was like, and a lot of the writers had been there since it was even a show at UCB, and Whoa. they've like been doing this show forever. So I'm coming in as like a new person to their group, and. Um, you know, writing for a show that my style is so different mm-hmm. from, but that I could still, you know, pitch stuff and try to write things in the voice of the show. And, you know, if I pitched something and they liked it, eventually it would get 
changed a lot and end up, you know, being a lot different than what I had initially pitched, but that's just how it is at a, you know, a show like that. Yeah. That's gotta be hard to, I think for somebody who is, let's say like a traditional artist, the idea of that is debilitating to mm-hmm. think that the idea that you put forward could go through multiple permutations through different people and ultimately reach a public looking very different. But I guess as a writer, especially when you know that you're in that environment, that's kind of, that's what the writing is. Yeah. And I, and I know what you mean. And there's a f- like sometimes a feeling of wanting to be a little precious with your work uh-huh. or wanting, you know, your original idea to be the one that's executed. But also there's anonymity because no one knows who wrote what bit or pitched what bit. So it's just like, yeah, all this group of, I think it was like eight people or so, um, put the show together mm. and you don't know who did what. So you kind of can hide behind it if let's say you don't like how it was <laughs> executed. And also you can uh, steal some valor and take the credit yeah. when maybe you weren't even in the room that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was, I'm on that writing team. Yeah, we came up with that. Um, while you were, I kind of noticed that since, since you started, um, since you had started working on that show that your kind of schedule of stand-up and performances and things like that has kind of calmed down a bit in terms of how much you're going out and Mm -hmm. doing comedy and um was that the result of just kind of your schedule got really busy or do you feel also like you're at a point now where and I I don't really know how to describe this because I don't mean it to sound one way or the other but where you're being just like you're free to be a little bit more selective about how much you perform and I don't mean that you weren't selective previously but yeah um, it was a little bit of both where definitely, you know, if I'm working all day and the schedule would vary day to day, but there were some days that you knew that you were going to be there late. And then I had to think, well, do I want to leave work and go straight to a show mm-hmm. and come home, you know, at 11 or do I want to go home and have dinner with my girlfriend? Yeah. So, you know, being mindful of things like that. And then also I was, you know, starting to be more picky about like, do I want to do a show in a coffee shop that's an hour and a half away? Like, mm-hmm. no. So I'm going to say no to that. Well, and it seems, and you had done, you know, people, oh, you got to pay your dues. You got to do this and that. I mean, you were out all the time. Yeah. And it I, seemed, I used to say yes to everything. Yeah. And, and it seems like you honed your craft though. Like, you know what you're doing. Yeah. And it helps. I think you should say yes and perform as much as you can, you know, when you're starting. And then once you feel like more comfortable and you I guess in in a way it's like a luxury to be able to say no to things. Um, but it's also just knowing like, am I going to be happier hanging out with my friends who I haven't seen for a little bit or going to do this comedy show when I perform a lot anyway? So what's the difference? Yeah. And you get to kind of keep, uh, you get to keep some of the stuff, I guess, fresher, closer to the chest and like more reveals. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's also something kind of funny about, I've seen so many people perform so many times and even if it's the same material, like the people that I love, it's still just as funny. This, mm-hmm. Even if I know what's coming or the punchline or something, but also I'm sure as the comic, it's kind of fun to be like, nobody's seen this yet. Like I'm, mm-hmm. this is going to be here for, I mean, you might've tried it in a couple places, but really like the concentrated audience, you're sort of debuting stuff, which yeah. is not the case if you're doing it every night. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder when I say no to shows, um, what could have happened? Yeah, I'm like, what if this was would have been a great show? Who could have been in that audience? Yeah, who knows? But Wavy also, gravy. Yeah, <laughs> someone else from Woodstock. Yeah, but I'm also, you know, if I said no to it, it's because I wanted to do something else, and I probably enjoyed doing that other thing too. Yeah, you can't get all butterfly effect about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's good though too, probably for your, just for your health and your sanity too, because it started to become, I imagine. Um, 
previously you were you were working a different kind of regular normie full-time job and mm-hmm. then you were doing this as kind of like your release at night and now that you've been able to move to a place where doing comedy and writing is your career it's kind of like as an extracurricular blowing off steam or something maybe it's just also just not as necessary because you get mm-hmm. to flex those creative muscles all day yeah and it's different because writing for like a show during the day where you're, you know, like at Chris's show, I'm not writing stuff that's like definitely going to be on air and I'm not writing for me. It is nice to have something you can do at night. That's like, okay, now I'm going to do my stuff. Um, but you do also feel like tired the same way that you would if you're working any other job where you're like, I just had a long day at work. I don't feel like going out and coming home late to like do an eight minute spot. Yeah. When I worked at NYU, I did not, want to go and like do arts administration after work yeah go and like organize someone's portfolio and drive and share the links with certain people Uh that didn't sound fun (laughs) have summer group exhibitions gone too far it's the question on the tip of everyone's tongue from the upper west side to ridgewood galleries are scrambling to throw together something anything really to fill up their spaces in the slowest months of the year just yesterday i wandered into an otherwise respectable lower east side staple project space only to encounter a goulash of foolishness on one wall a painting of the band franz ferdinand rocking out to an audience of west virginia coal miners at the miami beach holocaust memorial nearby was a sculpture reminiscent of a miniature richard Serra, except that it was made in entirely of buttholes. At the back of the gallery, in what is usually a black box area reserved for video works, two men from Boston dressed as hobbits scourge themselves on cured meats while singing an acapella rendition of Gordon Lightfoot's The Ballad of the Edmund Fitzgerald. When I asked the young man at the front desk what the overarching curatorial angle of the exhibition was, he printed out the shrubby emoji, added it to me, and then said, Tino Stahl, 2018. The only thing that kept me from an absolute meltdown was the masochistic thought that I was effectively edging, art-wise. In less than four weeks, it will be the fall blockbuster season. The galleries will pull out all the stops. Huge ass motherfucking solo exhibitions. Ambitious installations of canonized works I never thought I'd get to see in person. Thousands of performances and poetry readings with room temperature beer where I'll run into somebody whose name I've managed to forget seven times already. Yes, we're on the cusp of the most important season in the art world. But for a few more weeks, it's going to be rough out there. Take care of yourselves, dear Screedlers. Summer is a cruel mistress. Um, but you've gotten to, um, you know, you after that season with Chris's show, you've been working on something that was much more your own baby recently. Mm-hmm. And I think most people who probably listen to this podcast already heard the good news, but... Uh, your show that was, uh, I I don't know all the lingo, but was greenlit for a pilot. Mm -hmm. So you did a pilot and the pilot got picked up for a season by HBO, right? Yeah. So that's like, that's amazing. That's nuts. 
it's a, a dream. <laughs> I told my mom about it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Mom, you know my friend Anna that I made those zines for? She has a show coming up pretty soon on HBO. And I was like, you know someone? Like, just, <laughs> but no, I was so proud of you, and it was so cool. Um, and I already apologized to you about this before we got on the mics, but I just made you explain this to my kids earlier today. But what uh, for anybody who, for some reason, hasn't heard the news, what is Los Espookies? Yeah, the show is called Los Espookies, and it's set in Mexico City and in Los Angeles, and it follows a group of friends that live in Mexico City that are really into horror makeup and like you know the props and all that kind of stuff, and they start doing jobs that are not related to like film and TV or anything like that. So each episode is kind of Scooby-Doo-esque in that it's like them doing a new job. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they each have like their own lives and own stuff going on. And then uh, they have an uncle that lives in Los Angeles, or one of them does. And he um, is kind of in, like helps them a little bit in the first episode. And then he's, you know, got his own life going in LA. But there was like overlap between the two worlds. So the stuff in Los Angeles is in English and everything that's in Mexico City is in Spanish. That's cool. And who else is involved in the project? Uh, Fred Armisen and Julio Torres were the ones writing it. Um, And then... With you? Yeah. Well, Fred had asked Julio and I to help him develop the idea once he had just like... He knew he wanted to make a show in Mexico City. Got it. um, And about like this group of friends that like horror. And so uh, last summer we helped like develop the pilot and the story and the characters and all that. And then now that we're writing um, the remaining episodes, um, it's Julio and I in like a little office in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and we send Fred everything and, you know, get his notes. And Do you guys show up to work like at a specific time? You we, and Julio and you like punch in and you're like, good morning, Julio. Yeah. He's like, good morning, Anna. Yeah, we meet at like, <laughs> it, well, it varies on some days, but we, we go in at a, at a cool 11 a.m. sometimes. Mm. Um, crack of dawn. Yeah. <laughs> or at noon. Noon. And yeah. then, you know, get a lot done in like five or six hours every day. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. I mean, I feel like most jobs, you could just work five or six hours. And if there wasn't yeah. a bunch of nonsense related right. to it, you could probably do a lot of work in that yeah. amount of time. Like, we could start like later and work until later and have this. I feel like a lot of people love the idea of like, Oh, we worked so late on this show. We've no, been it is writing. cool to leave work at like five or six. Yeah, it uh, kicks ass. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And we get a lot done. <laughs> and um, Do you have like, you have a morning ritual now? You've got this, like, you got to be there at like 11 or something, but you've got enough time to like. Yeah, no, I have a nice relaxed morning and I wake up really early anyway. So I'm usually up by like seven. Hmm. Uh, this morning I woke up at 530. It's it was on a, my own. It's not a contest. I, but I didn't want to. Okay, I got And I thought, oh, oh no. Oh, well, today you had to get up really early because I made yeah, you come up here. But and I you think had to catch because I was worried, <laughs> I was worried I would sleep through the alarm, so yeah. I kept waking up. Same. I do yeah. that when I have a flight. Yeah. Even if I have a six o'clock flight and I'm supposed to get up at 3.30 in the morning, I'll wake up every 15 minutes yeah. going towards it no matter what. Yeah. But my mornings are usually, um, I've been going to an MMA class twice a week. So, so <laughs> I'll wake up, maybe go for a run, kicking some um, butt. have some coffee, go to my MMA class, shower and go to the office or, um, <laughs> have some coffee, go for a run, eat breakfast, go to the office. Yeah. That's really read lovely, and have though. time to like hang out. Are you freaking out? You're like doing what you like designed this for yourself. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't, I, there's no other circumstance in which I could, like, really have this schedule that yeah. I like and be doing yeah. work that I love. And then you only have to interface with Julio at work. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like me and Julio and her writer's assistant, Walter, who's great. Shout out to Walter. Shout out to Walter. Um, and, yeah, it is really uh, an ideal setup. And Were you guys I, using Macs, PCs? We're using uh, Macs. <laughs> yeah, we, we bring our laptops to work. Yeah. And we plug into a monitor when we're scripting. Otherwise, we use Google Docs. You guys using like a scripting software? Or yeah, what, what Final you... Draft. <laughs> <Okay>. Industry standard. <laughs> I feel like I'm just trying to pretend like this podcast is in LA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're working in Final Draft, the latest version. It's actually a little buggy, which is annoying. Yeah. But um, they actually do have this infuriating feature where, you know how in Google Docs, you can collaborate in real time and see yeah. changes that are being made? There's like something that makes it seem like you can do that in Final Draft, but it only lets you watch someone else change. Two people can't have control of the document at the same time. It's like the talking stick. It is so annoying. Or the conch shell in, um, yeah. come on, what's the book? Little Boys on the Island. Oh, the Flies, Pig. Lord of the pig, Flies. Lord of the Flies. <laughs> I knew there was a lord. The Flies Pig. There's something with a pig. They eat a pig. <laughs> There's a kid named Piggy. Oh, that's I what it is. I think they cut a pig's head off, though, too. I don't something. even remember. Put it on a steak. Probably. It's grody. Yeah. It's about little boy. It's about smelly little boys. I don't want to yeah. read it. It sucks. But anyways, <laughs> no editing in real time. No. Well, final draft, if you're listening, yeah. fuck you. Yeah, please in, in, um, improve your script collaboration mode. It, does, well, it's not, it doesn't sound like it's collaboration at all. No, it's not. It it's one like person it's, can work while the other one watches. Sounds like it's editing. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's a shortcoming. Mm-hmm. What did you... Wait, where were you when you found out that it got picked up? I was I was at the Chris Gethard show for the finale. So I wrote for the season. I couldn't fuck this. I'm out. Well, no, no. I was like I was um, working at Chris's show like through the summer to early winter, and then they were gonna come back for their next round of episodes in like March Mm. of this year, and I couldn't go back because that's when we were shooting the pilot and the dates overlapped way too much. So I obviously picked the pilot. Um, and then Chris, when they were having the finale of this, uh, season said like, Oh, do you want to come do like, you know, we have this big finale bit at the end and we have like a little character for you. I said, okay. So when I was there and there's like, you know, a room with like 20 people in these goofy costumes, um, and I'm just like looking at my phone and I get a message saying like, Hey, they, they didn't like do paperwork to say they picked it up, but they said they're going to pick it up. Um, but let's wait to finalize the paperwork. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Oh my God. Wow. But I didn't tell anyone for a while until well, yeah, I knew. You don't want to jinx it. Yeah. Yeah. Until I knew that it was like for sure. That's like, if going. I, yeah. Wow. That's so amazing. Were you just like, I have a TV show. I, well, I still feel like, <laughs> and William and I have talked about this. It's like, it's weird to think that like this thing that we made and that we'll be in, yeah. will be on TV. And that people will hopefully watch it. Yeah. What did your parents say? Um, they were very happy, very supportive. Yeah. My mom was like, oh, I am She was so happy. <laughs> my dad was my dad was happy as well, but in the in the calm In a dad way. Yeah, in a dad yeah. way. Yeah. And um I don't know why I just imagined your dad talking like Barack Obama and just being like, Anna, we're uh proud of you. Yeah. Keep writing. Yeah. Oh, just, uh, Good job, HBO. Oh, nice. Good job. <laughs> <HBO>. Yeah. <laughs> People really, they hear HBO and they go, wow. 
it's it's the original prestige yeah right yeah it brought back television mm-hmm what if you guys are up against a new season of Westworld? Wait, how could you be? At- Shut up, Sean. You can't be- <laughs> We're competing for the Sopranos audience. <laughs> the old Sopranos audience. What if, what if Westworld is the lead in to Los Spookies? Maybe. I don't know. I that have no idea cool. how they plan to release it. I, I can't also, wait to see this show. It sounds nuts. I think it, I mean, we have so much fun writing it. And I, and I hope that that's a good indication that it will be good to shoot. And um, I love, our director is really talented and he brings, his name is Fernando Frias and he's a, like a film director and he makes, like he writes the movies that he makes and they're like really cool and like he just has a really nice aesthetic and when we talked with him as we were talking with different directors, he just like really understood the humor and has made the story like, he's like a visual storyteller and we're not as good as that as he is and so I feel like he really brings like an artistic touch to it and it feels like a lot more it feels like a, like it looks like a movie to me yeah. um but uh yeah it's it's wild <laughs> it's, it's just crazy I mean it's just really funny to think I mean I remember saying like kind of half jokingly not really half jokingly, but to people. I remember when we first made your first zine that we did together and I was like, I got to make sure that I keep like one of the first copies, like one of the ones that you signed. Cause I was like, Anna's going to be on TV. Like Anna's, <laughs> Anna's going to be somebody who's like on TV and everybody's going to know who she is. And so I have to keep this thing because she signed this. And this <laughs> is like from when we first met when she first started doing comedy. And then I'm just like, of course you got a show on HBO. That's so, I'm so excited well, to watch you this know, thing. Well, you know, that zine was like, ended up really like propelling my career forward <laughs> in the most unexpected way. Like when, when Portlandia was hiring new writers, they don't do like some shows will send out like to agencies, like talent agencies, like, you know, we're looking for a writer. Here's okay. a packet for the show yeah. and everyone gets it. Portlandia doesn't do that. But I, at the time was working with someone who used to work, um, for a production comp for Broadway video that produces it. And she said, uh, you should submit, a packet um but i didn't have a packet I, like they just wanted writing samples yeah and i didn't have a proper packet with like here's my pilot that i'm ready to shop around mm-hmm. so i sent my zine no you didn't i sent my zine the first one yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um the producer who is also working on our show now she called me and she, because she was like i was going through all these piles of like scripts that all look the same the and truth then about pangea yeah, and there's this giant picture <laughs> and it says the truth about pangea oh my god and i, I was like what that. is this and i started flipping through it and i showed it to fred and carrie and then you know they called me and interviewed me and ended up like not getting the job, but um, that's what like got me and Fred in touch. That's the cutest thing. I yeah. have no idea. Yeah, that's really fantastic. And you know what? That uh, zine label that that came out on started in Portland. Oh so, yeah, it's you know, full circle. That's where I was living when I was there. Maybe it carried some weird energy over yeah. there or something. The logo for it still has. It's like the I heart New York, but it's the state of Oregon where the heart would be mm-hmm. with just an upside down cross in it, which d- it's just stupid. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It's just stupid wannabe punk shit, but that's really incredible. And you were on, you, I watched that. Did you just do one episode of Portlander? You were yeah. like the band leader? Yeah. Right? They asked me to be in a sketch. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Claire and I watched that. I remember because you were in Patsy and Christian were your band, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, when I was a TA in grad school, Patsy, who's Patsy Gelb, who anybody's listening, Patsy's Rats is her band. Mm-hmm. They're fucking awesome. Um, and her boyfriend, Christian, is Christian from Mean Jeans. And they were your band yeah. on the show, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> Such a tiny little world. Yeah, that's so funny that you know them. Yeah. Well, I think maybe Patsy also does um, styling on the show of some kind. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, Portland's little, you know? Like, I think a lot of those people, like, uh, Ashby Collinson is on it a lot. She's very funny. She was an art person, too. Uh, So the uh world is very little there, which Mm -hmm. is kind of funny. But that's incredible. So you've got this, you got this new HBO thing going on. When, um, when do you shoot? Um, if you can say, you don't have to At the me. end of September for about two months. Wow. Yeah, so it'll be, right now the calendar's like maybe shifting, but right now the plan is to go at the end of September and come back uh, just after Thanksgiving. So you will be shooting during the spookiest season. Oh, yeah, that's true. I just want to point <laughs> that out. I didn't think about oh, that. Oh, yeah. October, but, very spooky. Yeah, but since we're not going to be in the U.S., it won't be the same type of spooky. But know? it could be in your heart. Yeah. I mean, you the, could carry the, that. Yeah. Can you say where you're shooting? Um, in Chile. Nice. Yeah. I knew that already. Just <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's going to be so much fun. Um, and then when might people actually see the show-ish? I know I, it's... Sometime I know it's next year. Like, 2019. Yeah. It could be the spring. It could be the summer. Maybe it's the fall. I really don't know. I hope it's not the fall. The turnaround. I mean, the thought of making something and not people not seeing it for a year seems like so long but i guess it's um, like a standard thing though yeah that's just how it is like movies and albums and things Mm -hmm. like that that people put out and then they don't come out for x amount of time yeah it seems so crazy but i guess i mean in big industry stuff that's very much a standard it seems really different being people like i mean you and i or you have been until recently just like putting out stuff Mm -hmm. and it's just like well yeah it's done it's out out, yeah and then but you had to wait and just kind of sit because you got to so get many, the ad spot. You got to no do a marketing plan. Anna, have you, you not looked into this? <laughs> there aren't ads. You have Are to you wait for the be commercial breaks. I don't know. <gasps> We've talked about like oh my how. God. What if there's how, a picture of you on the subway? Maybe. I'll scream. But some of those ads are so bad. And I'm like, they better not put us in a bad ad. You know, we're, we're clearly no one was there the same day and they're all just photoshopped <laughs> in. <laughs> <laughs> they should just let you and Julio Art direct it. Maybe. That would be pretty cool. But but I also am like, we're not going to have control of that. That's like the network's marketing people. Maybe Julio should like put something in his rider that he needs to be the first Subway ad that's also a hologram. Oh, yeah. I feel like Julio could, yeah. if anybody's going to break through. <laughs> yeah, it'll be Julio. It should be Julio. Should Into be. the hologram ad space. Yeah, just sort of He like, loves uh, the future of advertising. Does he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's really into advertising. <laughs> No, but the talk hole boys are. Yes. They love advertising. They love skewing advertising. Yes, they're very pithy, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Very vicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're savage. They're such such savages. <laughs> love those. Savage Eric and Savage Steven. Mm-hmm. Uh well Anna, I know that you've got to catch a train, so we should probably round this thing out, but just to further reiterate the fact that we are indeed <laughs> inside of a Richard Serra sculpture. It'll take a minute to walk out of this. Right now. It's going to take a minute, but I just want, can we stand up and do like, just like a little audio thing? Yeah. So, um, let's, let's just kind of here, just like sort of follow me around and let's just try to get the, let's see if we can get different, 
different spacing in here depending on as we move throughout the sculpture yeah okay oh go around me like it's asmr hello does that kind of does that sound i wonder what he would think if he knew we were doing this (laughs) i think he'd probably love it yeah ideal acoustics it's beautiful yes people are going to start to rent them out we're kind of like a Hey, wait here. Maybe, you don't have to address this on the show, but I do have a question about spookiness. Yeah. Um, do you know, this is a serious question, is who, why is surf music spooky? I don't know. Like, it's like spooky? Yeah, you're right. It is really why? spooky. As we've been like listening to music, uh-huh. like when we were looking for stuff for the pilot, it is like really heavily surf influenced. <laughs> this is making me dizzy. But I don't know why. Where Anne and I are walking in a circle inside of the torque de lips and it feels like we're getting ready for a gauntlet fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, as we're doing this, uh, Anna Fabrega, I just wanted to say, oh, that's, oh, that's nice. Walk by there and talk where I just walked by. Walking really over to that area. Does it sound really strange? Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. It's got like oh, it sounds weird. like it's coming out yeah. of like... It's very weird, right? Yeah, that's yeah. funny. This is kind of like a... Ooh, This is the sweet spot. Uh, okay. Oh, this is like the dead zone. Yeah, this is good. Uh, well, Anna Fabrega, I just want to say thank you so much for being a returning champion. Congratulations on Los Spookies. Uh, I love you. We're all so proud of you. And I hope you have a wonderful time in Chile. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me. I love you. I'm happy you're doing the podcast. And thank you for having me here at, at Beacon today. Yeah. And everybody out there, we'll catch you next week. Wasn't that nice? I think so. Anyways, now we return to the Savage Table with Alex Savage. That's us. meet the board. Hello, and welcome back to the savage table uh i'm your host alex savage um just came back from uh, a trip from italy last year um got to take in the sights and sounds and especially the flavors um it was great it was great we had um a variety of sauces and pastas but what some don't think of when they think of italy they don't think of meats. I'm sure you have your salami and pepperoni, but have you ever thought of ham? No. I'm here today. Well, I well, sure you can think about ham in Italy, but normally I think of ham in terms of you know like a pork sausage from America. Anyways, I'm here to talk to you about this one great ham sandwich. This let me just let me just pull up my notes here for this uh, ham sandwich review. Um, you know, actually, not. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It wasn't even so much of a ham sandwich. Sure, it had it had the form of the sandwich. There were two slices of bread. I'd like to say it's a ciabatta. And sure, there was um, there was some ham in between. But in in my recollection of this ham sandwich, I wasn't quite sure 
what the what the purpose of this ham was. Um, within the bread, it was barely there, and uh, but I found the the parts of the uh, the sandwich on the outside, rather the outside ham, to be the most engaging. Um, and this this is uh, important to note because this sandwich. And as as per what I'm, or what I what I found out in Italy, was that the sandwich was made long, 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 long before anyone had ordered it. Um, this was sort of an open, an open air sandwich for for quite some time, to my understanding. I was uh, walking around by myself. We were in uh, Florence, Florence, Italy, and there was this big, big square. Uh, there's a church where all all the kids and service industry workers hung out um, on the, the stairs of the church in the square. And at night, I had noticed all the bars and restaurants were bustling. So I figured I would uh, head back down that way m- midday. Uh, I found I found a nice little spot. I walked in. I saw some sandwiches out. I thought, hey. I could go for a sandwich right about now. Um, and I believe I had some odd equivalent of a, uh, of a Stella Artois to drink with it. I'm not quite sure what it was, uh, but it still had that, that vibe, that, uh, sort of elegant, but, uh, street savvy kind of feeling to it. Ordered one of those, and they said, uh, your sandwich will be right out. There was no indoor seating, so I sat outside, uh, and I and I found that my chair was wobbly. But that's that's not important. What's important is that the sandwich was there. I saw it. Uh, I, I I spoke poorly in Italian, and I, I more or less said I I would like that sandwich right there. But they they didn't hand it to me. So I went outside with my um, Italian equivalent of a Stella, waited for a few seconds, and then was delivered the sandwich outside. And as I said, the, the most engaging part of the sandwich wasn't quite the the inside. What you think of a sandwich is, is what's really in between the bread. Sure, sure, the bread helps. The bread is a factor, but... Uh, No, it was just nothing. Nothing on the inside. I was taken aback a little bit, going through my bites. Uh, Entry into the sandwich was difficult. Uh, There were a few people outside sitting with me as well. Um, And I felt... extremely aware of my bites. Sure, I would get bits and pieces of, of ham going through uh, the two slabs of ciabatta. But I had the most enjoyment, as I've said, uh, picking around the edges of this strange open-air ham and bread sandwich. I would say mostly it is a bread sandwich. Though I do have to give them points for light amounts 
of butter in between the slices. Sort of these small rewards for going through the sandwich and it's almost as it said to me, Alex, you're you're doing a good job in a foreign land, in a foreign uh, restaurant. Here's a little bit of uh, butter for you. I borrowed someone's lighter, I believe. All in all, I would say the sandwich was um, impressive for what it was. It certainly had an impact on me. It's been a little bit over a year since I've had this sandwich, since I sat outside at this small Italian restaurant. Perhaps not even a restaurant. Your local hangout spot. Your eatery. Multiple names for it. I feel as if someone is outside of my apartment windows laughing at me. Could just be coughing. <laughs>